Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Wow, buddy! You look healthy and happy. Veterinary surgeon and natural pet food pioneer John Burns knows the positive impact a natural diet has on our beloved pets. That's why he developed Burns Pet Nutrition. Hmm. Maybe I should try some of your pet food myself. Okay, okay. I'll start with a salad. For natural, no nasty, wholesome recipes, choose Burns Pet Nutrition. Available from veterinary clinics and all good pet shops across Ireland. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. My name is Mickey McKinley. I'm a brother of Wally McKinley who was murdered on Broadway Sunday. I was at the march. And I think was probably lucky enough. I had just moved off just before the fires come on. I was standing at the Anderson and Fire Park at four o'clock when I fired the gas. And I crossed over and I met my gear friend in, who's now my wife. Because of the effects of the gas, she suggested to me, we'll make your way to, to your aunt's house, who lived in the Wales, which is just beyond Free Dairy Corner. And we got on there. I think maybe just we got on this in columns where else the whole the whole thing went mad. People were running, screaming. We got on the house. Uh, you only talking about but we one bedroom here, and there must have been twenty people in it. And I hear people saying there we in minutes. There's six dead at the barricade. Last year, the people of Derry marked the 50th anniversary of the Bloody Sunday Massacre. The brutal attack by the British Army on unarmed protesters left 14 people dead and has been a source of anger and grief in the city for over half a century. Now, for the first time, following a 30-year campaign by the victims' families, One of the soldiers involved in the killings is facing trial for the murders of two young men and the attempted murders of three more. I went to Derry recently to meet those families, to visit the Museum of Free Derry and to see for myself the streets where the killing happened. In this episode, I'm talking to Mickey McKinney, whose brother Willie was shot dead on that day in January 1972. Mickey has been a leader of the family's campaign for justice since 1992 and he spoke to me about the terrible loss of his eldest brother, the efforts that have been made to get justice and the challenging prospect of Soldier F's murder trial. I'm Nicola Tallent and you're listening to Crime World. So, Willie was a uh, he wanted to be a photographer. He had an Anderson photography. He was a typesetter in the journal office. Wooly was a big John Hume man. Me and my younger brother were 
something else back in. Uh, he never took part in a riot. He never took part in a riot. Never threw a stone in his life. Me and the other boy did. Wooly was a very unoffensive. There was no violence or there was nothing that in our Wooly. Just a lovely person. Did he have his camera? He had a sunny Super 8 camera with him. He was at McGilligan the week before. Him and Joe, my younger brother, were at McGilligan the week, week before. And they witnessed what he, he recorded. In fact, I think they used a British voice at the inquiry. I have memories of both Wally and Joe and myself. We, all, we would have landed in the house at lunchtime. We were all working. Around, around, it would have been the talk bag stuff, you know, going out then. And I have vivid memories of the reports coming from Stormont, Brian Faulkner. This merchant Sunday will not be tolerated. I remember that. And there was a lot of unease coming up to that day, you know, because we knew the message was being sent out. Keep in mind, merchants and parades were all banned at that time. They weren't allowed. And as best I remember, the merch on Bloody Sunday was the only one of that size ever to happen within a no-go area during that time. The Bloody Sunday march was the biggest ever. You know, there was never another march on, inside the no-go go area like that there. Such was a feeling against internment. There was a whole build-up, you know, from, from yeah. 68 and because everything was going on, because of the way Nassas were, were being treated. But internment was the last draw. The last time I saw Wally that day, we were coming down Southway, and I was a long way. My friends and all. Mm. Our Wally was, there's trees at the bottom of Southway. Wally was up there. His footage proves what I've seen because right. the march, he forms a march coming down that part of Southway. There's another part that shows you the march going up, up, up Western Street. Mm. The last piece is the gas coming on. Mm. Wherever he was or whatever happened, the cameras put away in. How did you hear that your brother was one of the victims? After the shooting, he called my wife, Grady. We, we made our way up. And there was evening mass then, you know, on Sunday. We made our way up to her house. She lived in Craigan Heights. We're from Westway, about a mile apart. The day before, there was two, two, uh, two people out of our square in Westway shot that Saturday. Peter Robson, Peter McLaughlin. We went to mass. We went up to Grady's house. We got our tea. We went to mass. There was a fellow, Pat Clark, coming out behind me, coming out of the chapel after mass. It was Pat Clark that told me father and told the family about Wally. He said, but I, I hadn't got the heart to come and say it. He said, I don't know if you knew or not. That was after mass. When we come out of mass, I said, they told Grady, I need to get home. They let me mother far know that I'm okay. When we're approaching the house, I saw Father McLaughlin's car, one of the priests, the way they're creating chapel. I said, there must be something wrong with Peter McLaughlin and Peter Robson there, Father McLaughlin's car. And as we went into our house, my father met me, he says, well, he's dead. And after many years, he just, you know. My mother was sitting in the sitting room and butts everybody around her. The following morning, 
me far away can me, me own crying. I never heard anyone cry as sore ever, ever in my life. The older brother George was trying to console him, you know. Well, he was the eldest. Well, he was the eldest, aye. Of 11, aye, aye. It, it, just, it just wrecked him, you know. You were all in shock and you were trying to prepare the funerals and all the other funerals in the city. And did it take you some weeks, really, to realise what they were saying or did you know immediately about the lies that were coming out? Everybody was in shock. Well, we were all in shock. I have a vague memory of listening to a report on the news that night. And I think it was going something like, you know, a British Army engaged in the combat with IRA. you know, but it's what they did. How have you managed to keep up your spirits and your fight over the years? What they did was wrong and they just can't get away with it. Very simple, you know. There was a number of us in the campaign who were sort of hard-nosed on it, you know, there, there was no shiftness, you know, Jerry and John and myself, and it probably, you know, led the thing. And I would have been so wrong, they, they, you know, I would have been so wrong they let them away with it. It was wrong, it, it shouldn't have happened. But it's been so many years, and did you ever kind of feel that you were losing the fight? In yourself, I mean. I was a step forward and two steps back, you know, and when we started the campaign, oh, I was going to the snail's piss, you know, we thought of, we're not getting anywhere here. And sometimes something would have happened and it went very, very slow. But the, the, the determination was there among us. Yeah. It was there and we just kept going and going and going. We met every Tuesday night up in West, West End Park for nearly seven years. From when? 92. Campaign started in 92. The peace process was starting to, mm-hmm. starting to fly at this time. Hume was very hard to pan down. I suggested we got after him. I thought, right, there was a postcard campaign. We were out getting everybody to sign it. Post them off to Dynasty. John Major was in, sitting there. Postcards were flying off. I remember I stole an idea from the police commander of the bog and, and, uh, and the, the Roswell Flats and Andy St. Collins, Wales, where my aunt lived. <clears throat> and they put in the ones at three o'clock in the morning. Within a month, Realtors from the Roswell Street Flats and the Collins Wales went to London. I stole them. I took that idea. I said, right, let us go to London. Let's take it to our front door. But the only way we could do that was through Hume. We needed Hume to get into London. He got his Andy Downing Street and he got his in front of so many MPs and, and at Westminster. That was a big PR stunt for us. What, what year was that? I would guess maybe around 94. So would you kind of have, you know, you'd have something big would happen and then it would all die away again and you'd have to come up with some other idea. That's the way it happened. Yeah. But us getting on the Downing Street, us being seen on Downing Street, I believe, was sending a firm message out. These people are serious. Patricia went over and got at the Kew, the Kew Gardens and got the HO219 file. There were documents uh, lodged with the Public Records Office at the conclusion of the Widgery inquiry. And many of these documents were never disclosed mm-hmm. to the to the lawyers representing the families in seventy two. So, oh, what 
what we did was we we prepared um, like a you know an analysis of what could have been done had there been fair disclosure at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it was I mean, I said, I mean it wasn't just a it was a it was a tribunal of inquiry whereby there was a cosy fireside chat and we unearthed the minutes of the meeting between Edward Heath, Lord Widgery, mm-hmm. and Lord Carrington. Uh, in, in which Heath reminded Widgery that the Northern Ireland were not just fighting a military war, we're fighting a propaganda war. And Patricia found this minute that was explosive stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And it 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 told a story that there was, this wasn't just a, uh, a substantively corrupt inquiry that, that, that was happening because it, there was, it was a matter of urgent public importance. It was an outcry. They, the, the difference was, they did it in front of the media. The media were there. There was hundreds of photos, hundreds upon hundreds of photos. And they never interviewed them, the photographers? Very few of them. Mm. Very, very few. They almost had to push their way in to get interviewed. But mm. Fulvio Grimaldi was, uh, was able to be smuggled out of Derry that night with his films by Martin McGuinness, yeah. as it turned out many years later. Mm. Martin got him over the border and got him to Dublin, himself and Susan North, and Fulvio's photos, along with another French photojournalist called Gilles Perez. So the photographs were coming out, and all these victims, none of them, none of them were armed, and they couldn't have shot more innocent people in Derry. I mean, there's plenty of people they could have shot, and people would have went, well, maybe, uh, you know. And do you think without those photographs? I think that's the trouble that the bloody, that's the, that's the trouble that the Bella Murphy families had. Yeah. They had no photos. Yeah. The difference with Bloody Sunday and what made it unique was a bit, it was done in front of the media. And if they hadn't had the media to go back, because the media gave lie to the British Army's account. Mm-hmm. And we had a so, so through the material that Patricia uncovered when she came over, uh, the, the, the queue, and she also obtained the military statements that were made by the Paris on the night of Bloody Sunday and the next day and then the next day. Mm-hmm. And none of these statements were ever disclosed to the family, to the lawyers for the families. All they got were, were statements taken weeks later by the Treasury Solicitor's Department. We felt that it won't have the same weight if it's if it's just a report from Madeline Finucane or from Seamus Tracy mm-hmm. uh, or from our team. So what we did was, and Patricia went down, on Boxing Day, I think it was 1995, and she went down to Galway and she briefed uh, a, a legal professor in Galway called Dermot Walsh. Mm. And she went down and she spent the entire Boxing Day briefing him mm. and he agreed to, to, to prepare uh, an analysis of what could have been done if there had, a, if, if there had if this had been a fair show, mm. but, you, know, you, know, you know, on an even playing field. But with all these things and with the Walsh report, we were then able to go down, meet the Taoiseach and 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 Eamon O'Creeve and, O'Cre- O'Cre- and the Irish, and, we, and the Department of Foreign Affairs came on board then in a very big way because they could see that that we would get stuff ourselves and and they could see the you know the blatant unfairness and the Irish government then produced a report which was served on the British government at Downing Street, and it was the Irish government's assessment of the, you know, of the new material. That was and just, and just that, name, and, just for an oral inquiry. And at that stage, it was, it was becoming explosive stuff, yeah. and it was gathering a great, great mm. pace. Oh, absolutely. Right. That got us along the common up to about 98. Right. In January 98. Right. And, and, that's, and that's when, you know, um, you see, we, we, there was we, only about three months left of negotiations, you see, mm. for the Good Friday Agreement. Yeah. 
Tony Blair was in place and Martin McGuinness impressed very, very heavily on Blake. You need to sort out Bloody Sunday. Yeah. You need to sort out Bloody Sunday. And we were all up in Craigan. We went over and we met uh, Mo Mullen. Yes, she was very good. That was so In fact, we, we, we flew out of Dublin going over. We met Mo Mullen and uh, we were letting her, she, she knew what we were after. We were after an international inquiry. The Irish government was solidly behind it at, by that stage. I, I talk about a time we were up and down in Dublin squeezing the Emmons and I, they, were, they were getting on board definitely. Yeah. Within a month new Labour were on. If that hadn't happened we probably might not have got an inquiry. We went over and we met Mo. John Keogh, there was only we were only a small group. John was chair, I was vice chair, you know. But the contact was made with John. I can't mind who it was. Somebody contacted John and says, right, he's are, he's are getting something, he should be, he's not getting what he's want. But what he's are getting, he should be happy with. He's are getting a Brit and two Commonwealth churches. And there was stuff going on, we were thinking, well, that's not what we want, what are we going to do with it? Well, thing or not. And I think the feeling was, if this is all we're getting, we still have to run with it. It's better than nothing. So we run with and how long have we run? Five years? Well, of uh, oral evidence, uh, well, evidence gathering and oral evidence had been uh, for five years. Uh, uh, um, it took was the, about seven years to get the report out. It took, no, it took, uh, it took, uh, it took 12, to, uh, 12 and a half, mm. actually. And then there was a scandal over the amount of money that it cost. And yes, but, uh, and it did cost a lot of money. But if it, you have to remember, the British, the British uh, uh, Army took a judicial review, saying that you know that their soldiers were under such that now they were given it day and daily at the time. The other soldiers in trials here, in the block trials, would be given it day and daily, mm-hmm. and they brought a judicial review in London, challenging. Firstly, they had a successful challenge of the against the inquiry in relation to anonymity. The the the. There's five of them, no. Yeah. And several never won one of them? Yeah, several never won one judicial review mm-hmm. taken in London by, but you know, by the you know, former soldiers, put it that way. Um, firstly, anonymity. Uh, that uh, several rules should give evidence in their own names, um, and with their own identities. That was held to be uh, unreasonable and unlawful. Then the next big challenge came because Savile said that all... Um, hearing should be and then and naturally mm-hmm. in Derry because I mean they weren't in Derry the first time they yeah. were in Coleraine and that was, that was a big that had a big that was very deliberate and that was to cause a massive chill factor to prevent local eyewitnesses from coming forward because we're going on a very hostile loyalist area right. you know they go, no, they go 30 miles away they go, no, you know they go down and you know, they were met with mobs and you know etc and barely protected it was very traumatic for people already traumatised to go down and do it so it was a very deliberate thing but Sal said, look, it's happened here. Every other inquiry uh, takes place in, you know, in the place where it occurred. Uh, that should happen here. Again, that was ruled to be uh, uh, unreasonable and unlawful, uh, challenged successfully by way of judicial review. Again, in the London High Court. Now, those two decisions ended up costing the inquiry or costing the public person an absolute fortune yeah. because they had to run effectively two inquiries that were going in time because you see all the time that we were in, in England. Well, there was, there was uh, the 
the venue in first, the first day where it had to, where it had to take place. But everything was still being being back to Derry. Mm. And all the lawyers and the teams and the mm. families. I mean, over a hundred of you flying every week yeah. over to every London. Week. Every for, week. For, for two every and a half years. For two years. For two years. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And, 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 and do you see the, the cost of that? Anonymizing all those documents. Yeah. So, and doing it right. You know, they, 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 now it was always going to be an expensive affair. But that, but that really sent the cost spiraling out of control, and you know, and it's often slagged, you know, it's often criticised for mm. what it costs, but, but but it's very rarely understood mm. what, what the causes what of that. Co- yeah, mm. you know, um, and, and those, those those were fair fact, those were fairly significant factors. And what was it like when you eventually got that report in 2010? It was good. It was a momentous day. Oh, absolutely! It was mm. brilliant. It was, you know, mm. I, it was I, for David Cameron. Mm. They come out, maybe an hour or more, or whatever, dedicated to Bloody Sunday. For him, they say what they say. Yeah. Unjustified and unjustifiable. I didn't need him to tell me that. No, nobody in this town needed that. We didn't need the Brits to tell us that. They needed it. But for him to do it, we forced him on it. And did that not feel like a win and that it was in the end? Um, no, it was never going to be the end. No. The postcard campaign was, we had three demands on it. The repudiation of Woodsbury, uh, the declaration of innocence, and the prosecution of the responsible. That was the third place. That day, two of the three demands um, had been, you know, had been won. No, we were going all right. You had two people winged. Mm. It said five to four. And it's commonly believed that, that uh, the reason why those two people were shot were to, dry, were, were to draw the IRA down, the hit back, and, uh, and engage them in a fire fight and to wipe them out overwhelm, with, with overwhelming firepower. But they didn't come down. Mm-hmm. There was a shot fired in return at them from an official IRA gunman, and he, and, he, and, he, and he almost got badly hurt in a fist fight with provisionals who tried to take a weapon off him. There was, you know, there, you know, there, there was that... And then when they came in at 10 past four, by 4.30, everybody was dead. The people, the, the three bodies were in the back of the pig and they were, and they were moving back out mm-hmm. with about 50 people arrested who, who, who went through a horrendous time of it just across the way there mm-hmm. in, in, in Fort George that night because after they were finished shooting people there, they came down and started physically torturing those people who were arrested and you know it's often forgotten like the, the, the horrific time of it that that, that, that those people spitting spitting in prisoners mouths uh, so your F went, went uh, out of control that night all season you know, dogs putting all season dogs on them he had been particular a Catholic priest mm-hmm. uh, called Father Terence O'Keefe he was the Dean of Humanity that just happened a hundred yards down there um, just he, down there for George that's when he that's that's, that's that's where we got his name Right. That's where he got it. We got his name that night. Because how he behaved, basically. Because he had no he had identified himself. In, and, and, and Father O'Keefe wrote a letter, and, and his name is, was, was actually published in the Irish press. Naming him. Way back, you know. And, uh, you know, the, I mean, the press reports are there, are, are there to this day. And we said, well, well, well P.S., and I haven't even been in touch. We'd better write to the chief constable. So, so we wrote we wrote him this stinger of a letter, and then we made submissions in relation to each and every client that we had. 
They said, what are you going to do about this one? What are you going to do? So he got hit by 27 letters. <laughs> and he says, Murder investigations. Murder investigations, you yeah. better start here. Yeah, yeah. And so they drafted an ex, ex-police, both who were off with their patent retirement money, and they, come, and they came back in to investigate this with very, very bad misgivings about this because of where they had come from. So we're going to have to stay on this. Like a, what's this? Like a mm, hawk. Mm. The next thing was, sorry, we're, ha- we, we're going to have to shelve the Bloody Sunday murder investigation because we don't have the money. So we did what we do best. We took another judicial review <laughs> about the faith. So what year are you at there? We're at about... We're at about 2015. 15. About 2015. Because remember, we went over to uh, uh, Maydown uh, and had a very uh, uh, hot and heavy meeting with them, myself, right. yourself, right. Fergal, Peter. And John. And John, uh. yeah. And the five of us uh, uh, were senior police and they came out with their ears dinging mm-hmm. and threats of, threats of going to court and they looked at us and we were in court back mm-hmm. Tuesday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Craig Ian, the court's held for us. It's a complete breach of Article 2, you're the convention, not to, not to get to the So the court's basically told them Every to time we find had to go the back money. To the court. Yeah. Every time we had to go back to the court. And then, so the money was found. And then the next thing, they arrest Soldier G. He's the first one to be arrested. Mm. And they brought they started to bring them over again, didn't so they? So they then started interviewing them all voluntary and voluntary attendances for murder. The, the, the most important p- part about the committal proceedings have, uh, um, has been the um, hearsay applications which were brought by the, the PPS um, which put Soldier F inside, basically inside the kill zone of Glenfella Park armed with his SLR firing it at civilians. The civilian evidence really takes care of itself. You know, the civilian evidence is all held up. But it's the hearsay evidence. Um, uh, if those applications had been unsuccessful, the case would have been killed dead Friday week ago. We went to, we went to court. Um, uh, um, the judge held in favour of the PPS. Um, I think I was asked... Well, I mean, what, what, what are your views as to today? I said, well, it's a very bad day for Soldier F. You know, because one thing's clear now: that this judge is going to return him for trial, and he's going to and he's going to then be in in the crown court, and he'd be tried before a diplock judge in a diplock court sitting without a jury, and um, those applications will have to be heard for real, as it were, um, uh, in the crown court, and if hearsay evidence. Uh, as accepted then, I mean, Soldier F's in a world of trouble. Um, he's currently charged with the murder of Willie, Willie, the murder of Jim Ray, the attempted murders of Patsy O'Donnell, Joe Friel, uh, and Joe Mahan. And that's only a fraction of the people he shot that day. You know, he's only standing trial for a fraction of what he did. And then even didn't start torturing people. And I mean torturing. You know, making them stand in front of gas heaters until, mm. and you know, until they collapsed, beating a priest very badly. Mm. And then a number of days later, he's involved in another incident in West Belfast where they pick up two Catholic men, take them away in uh, pigs, drop them in the Shankill Road, identify them as Catholics. The men survive, and, and very, very few people did. And those men were paid 
heavy damages, and we were able to cross-examine F about the kidnapping that occurred within a couple of days of the two Catholics in Belfast. You know, at one time he was a psychopath out of control. He's he's very very well liked. He's a very he's a very popular soldier, and you can see the campaign that's, that's behind him. You know, to this day, he's a very popular soldier throughout, and he's a very well known soldier throughout the British Army, and and he, and he has received a back a backing that no other soldier who's faced charges here has ever had, like a personal backing. That's 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 very very that's very very obvious. Even done to go to the highest level a non-commissioned officer can raise to the warrant officer set classes high. That's a ceiling he went to within the army. But he's a very significant soldier. Will you go to court every day? I, I, I never miss it. I'm going to go to Belfast, I'll be on, and hopefully the rest of them be up there too. Uh, no, you, you can't miss it. You know, it's also got it here, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I, if, he, if he's going to be in Belfast, no matter where he is, if he's in court, uh, I'm going to be here. He's going to see me. Was Willie's camera ever found? Mm. It's in the museum, you'll see, see it tomorrow. You'll see it And was there any photographs taken? You'll see it tomorrow too, yeah. Right. been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take the Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume the Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume the Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.